Hello, I'm Liz Jones. If you read my diary in the Mail on Sunday's You magazine, then you'll know me and my life pretty well. But if you've always wanted to know more, this is the place for you. Welcome to Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast. I'll be taking you behind the scenes of this week's column before digging back into the archives to find some of the most shocking and hilarious stories from the last 20 years. I'll be doing all this with the help of my assistant, friend and confidant, Nick. Hello. noise. David, I'm like a disc jockey. Oh. I'm going to be like Tony Blackburn. That was David Bowie singing fashion pop pickers. I just want to say, you complain about my bloody books. Your taste in music is not good. She doesn't like, listen everyone, I'm going to tell the nation, she doesn't like the Beatles. I don't. And she doesn't like David Bowie. I quite like Hey Jude, but that's about it. She'd never seen Sex in the City. No. She doesn't like the Beatles. No. No. I like Whitney. What are we going to do with that? bit of Mariah Carey. You're like a fetus. So why are you playing yet another awful song? I'm playing fashion because, and I look very battle-worn. Don't I? You do a bit, actually. (laughs) You do a bit. I've just been to London Fashion Week and I've just got back. That's exciting, though, isn't it? It wasn't that exciting, no. Well, it's not because you've been doing it for years. Everyone else would be excited. No, there's been a hiatus, hasn't there, because of COVID. And this, this season was the first season with proper catwalk shows. And I had to take a You magazine reader called Cheryl. Lovely Cheryl. Who has read my column since 2000. She's read my column for 21 years. And she paid a huge sum of money towards Chris Australia Rescue to go to a fashion show with me. She did. She doesn't look old enough to have read it. So since years. August, I've been emailing the fashion designers saying, oh, Simone Rocha, I love your designs. I think you're so talented. Could I have two seats? One for me, and I write for the biggest newspaper in the world, and for... A lovely woman who's donated money to animals in Greece. And you know, there were terrible, terrible, terrible fires in Greece. Could you possibly see your way to two seats? All the designers at London Fashion Week, bearing in mind my pedigree. I might not be a dog, but I have a pedigree. <laughs> editor of Marie Claire. Launched and deputy editor of Sunday Times Style. Life and Style editor of the Evening Standard. Fashion editor of the Daily Mail. Of all the shows, I was offered one ticket to Paul and Joe and I couldn't bring Cheryl. That's mean. That's mean. No, they said we don't have space due to limited capacity, due to COVID, um, due to the fact that we hate Mm. you, we don't have space. (laughs) Have you slagged these people off, though, in the previous No, I love Simone Rocha. Okay, no, I'm just checking. Erdem. Oh. I asked for a ticket for Erdem. No, no, you can't have that. Osman, no. And you just feel like a pariah. But then eventually, my friend Anthony got me two front row tickets for... Pronounce? 
Was it? Pronounced, yeah. yeah. Which had a lovely show on Tuesday in a garden. So we were able to go to that. And then I took Cheryl to Claridge's and we had champagne and she had cocktails. Oh, lovely Cheryl. She, she was still with me till six o'clock. And then she got the cab back and she came all the way from Liverpool. Oh, bless her. To see I'm glad young she had men nice walk day, up and down in shorts. I've got to be honest, those woolly short things you sent me a picture of left nothing to the imagination. I mean, they were fantastic. I tell you something, it was kind of, it was a mixture of emotions, actually. So I'm feeling a little bit emotional today. I'm not menopausal because that's been and gone. <laughs> what was nice was being outside a lovely venue in London, in my shoes, and all these people, all very young people around me, and they were all very eccentric. It was just nice being around eccentric people because when you're not in London or you're not in a big city, there's no one eccentric. I mean, there was a man with a fur motorbike helmet and he never took the motorbike helmet off. A fur motorbike helmet. And there was girls with their midriff showing and different coloured hair and you didn't know what sex they were. And they were all very young and they were all obviously quite ambitious and they wanted to work in fashion. And I just think, and I was just thinking, get a job in fashion. You know, it does look very glamorous. But 40 years later, you'll just be offered one ticket to Paul and Joe and you can't bring Cheryl. That will be the summation of 40 <laughs> years of writing about fashion. So I was a little bit sad to be such so ostracised. But what struck me and I've seen some things on video and streaming and everything. And obviously, I campaigned 20 years ago for more diversity in fashion, and I put a black woman on the cover of Marie Claire, and then I tried to put Sade on the cover of Marie Claire, who was both black and old, so she's very diverse, and they wouldn't let me. In the sh a show that I was watching, apart from two models, which is very different to 20, 20 years ago when I was campaigning, apart from two models... Every single model was African, Afro-Caribbean, Asian, Indian, Chinese. Only two w were white. So that is diverse. That is diverse, yeah. So you've got As lots of black be. and Asians people, yeah. and some of them you didn't know what sex they were, and there were some were men and some were women. But they were all incredibly tall and thinner than they were when I was writing about it 20 years ago. I must admit, Some yeah. of their legs were just like, and I'm sure they were born that way, because I'm not saying that models starve themselves, I'm not. I'm just saying about the influence they have. I'm sure they were born that way. I've never seen such extreme bodies in my life. So how is that diverse? Diverse means... Let's have a 50-something on the catwalk. Let's have someone with grey hair. Let's have someone who's disabled. Let's have someone who's a bit chunky. Not and we are seeing that, aren't we, in advertising? Like well, I didn't, see it in, advertising. I, didn't see, yeah. I didn't see it in London Fashion Week. But it's a shame, isn't it? Because we're seeing it in advertising. We're seeing it sort of like... But high fashion is very different to a Dove advert or something yeah. for boots. It's very extreme. Well, the most of the stuff isn't wearable, is it? Most of the stuff you wouldn't... You wouldn't I mean, where would you wear, like, it's like Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat, some of it. It's awful. I think it's just to get on the front pages, because yeah. if you just send a lovely, well-cut trouser suit down the catwalk, no one's going to take any pictures of it. Yeah. I think they, they play with that slightly. And often, if you take away all the twiddly bits, there are some lovely 
pieces underneath. Like there were two lovely jackets that pronounced. I thought, oh, God, I love that jacket. And it was cut really well. But fashion is still very elitist. It's still very young and it's still very thin. I was absolutely shocked. Yeah. So nothing's changed, really. You might have a black or Asian woman, but, but she's still a size zero. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't believe how thin these girls were. No. It was unbelievable. And I was watching a rehearsal from outside a compound because they wouldn't let me in. And the person directing the show was really shouting at the models and telling them off. And I was like, haven't you learned anything? Don't shout at them. They're like children. They literally are children. Don't no, shout no at them. No one should be talking to anyone like that ever. You're shouting right. at them. Yeah, but you can I see all that. the people, all the bloggers and everything outside the show desperate to get in and all the models. They're so desperate to work in that world. They put up with anything, yeah. low pay, being shouted at. You're not really in a position, are you, to sort of demand your self-worth because there'll be 20,000 people yeah. to replace you. Yeah. But having worked in that industry for such a long time, I'd say just choose something else. Yeah. I would. Hindsight is a wonderful thing, though, isn't it? And I went for drinks with Cheryl and we, had, we got on like a house on fire and she's so lovely and we promised to keep in touch. And, you know, I was telling her all my antidotes about fashion and everything and I said to her that I used to be editor of Marie Claire and that they did a big anniversary issue. It was like 30 years old or something and they photographed every editor and did a biograph of them. So there was Glenda and there was Trish Halpin and everything. But I was there brushed out. I wasn't in the issue. It was like I didn't exist. So even the magazine I was editor of pretended I'd never been there. That's shocking. That's so really how do they shocking. they going to get away with it? But that's weird and shocking. But I was the editor who campaigned for women's rights. Yeah, tried to change things. Let's put Sade on the cover. She might have wrinkles. She might be a black woman. But let's give it a go. No, mm. no, no, no. And so I was telling Cheryl all my antidotes about how I used to go to the board meeting in Paris because the French people owned Marie Claire. And I'd put Victoria Beckham on the cover and the French woman who owned Marie Claire who didn't really like me, she said, who is she? Who is Victoria Beckham? Who is she? Who? Who? Who is she? And then I said that my fashion director was going on her second maternity leave because I had to tell her because we had to get a replacement. And she was, I was really fond of my fashion editor and she was very good. She was very grown up. She was organised everything beautifully. She was amazing. So I said, oh, well, Sarah's going on her second maternity leave. And so the French owner said, sucker, sucker. Yeah. And that's a magazine that's supposed to be on the side of women. Sucker. Yeah. Ooh, is she? Wouldn't get away with that Ooh. now. <laughs> Ooh, I think people do get away with that. Mm. Closed doors and all, isn't it? So it was, it was sort of quite... It was just funny being back at Fashion Week and the whole sort of stress of it came back to me of running between venues and trying to get on the bus. They have a little shuttle bus, you see, to ferry everyone from show to show. And the whole time I was at the Daily Mail writing about fashion, they would never let me on the bus, ever. It's they like, wouldn't let it's me on like the bus. being in the school playground, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, they wouldn't like, let me on the bus. Not being with the So there was kids. this very tall, willowy young girl holding up the thing, saying shuttle bus, and I said, well, you never let me on. She said, oh, I'll let, I'll let you on this year. But I said, but I've only been invited to one show. So she said, well, you don't really need the bus. That's <laughs> true, true. <laughs> so what have you been up to, Nicola? Well... Nursing Charlie. I've been nursing Charlie. I had a good week because we ran the auction for Cairo Animal Rescue. And another auction. Another auction. We pulled this together. 
in a couple of weeks. So I was a bit concerned it wouldn't do too well. But well, I gave you my freebie Bowden bag. You gave me your free, free. It's like a tongue twister, isn't it? Freebie Bowden bag. You did, and you then tried to bid on it and was outbid on it. I was outbid <laughs> on it. So the auction raised seven hundred and forty-one pounds, which I was thrilled with. And then you donated your hundred pounds that you were outbid on for the bag. And two ladies donated £20 each, and I threw back the postage in and £100. So we were able to send them £900. So I was really, really chuffed Have you got a picture of their faces when they got the money? I haven't, but they sent me... Their English isn't very good, so they, they sent me... No, I, the, the trouble with Caro Animal Rescues, that's what it's called? Yeah. They think you're a man. They do think I'm a man, but but I've been called. They were going, oh, Nicola, he's tried so hard. (laughs) (laughs) But they said, I mean, bless them. They're so lovely. And they do. I mean, I was looking at their website and talking to them. They do just incredible work. And they've got 630 dogs in the shelter, plus the ones they feed on the street, plus neutering, spaying and... You know, all the all the aid, all the donations are going to people, you know, that have lost their jobs and stuff with COVID, so they're getting nothing. And they're, they're just, they're absolutely incredible, but they need ongoing support. So if anybody can sponsor a dog, like a monthly sponsor of a dog, that would be fantastic, or a regular donation. Because although £900 was fantastic to pull together in two weeks, it actually is just, as my, as my mum would say, it's a piss in the ocean. You know, it's 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 not going to last. I don't think 10 people minutes. should wee in the ocean or in swimming pools. It's a colloquialism, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? No, but I'm joking. Do you, do you not say that? No. <laughs> That's where I'm from, though. So I was thrilled about that, and I have been nursing Charlie, who's doing a little bit better, which is wonderful. And I've discovered I've got a new sympathy for parents. Yes, but the thing about having a baby because you go on maternity leave, as my fashion director did twice. Yes. But you haven't taken maternity leave. I haven't taken maternity leave. But to be fair, when he goes to sleep, all I want to do is lay on the sofa and watch Vera. That's all I want to do. Do you like Vera? I love Vera. But one of the things I did do was read a book called No Cure for Being Human by Katie Bowler out next week. Don't you dare. Don't you know I cut my review last week short because you were heckling me. Like, I'm not being heckled. It's a really good book. She's the woman that wrote Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lives I've matter. Loved. It doesn't all happen for a reason. Oh, I believe it does. No, I, it doesn't. What's I, the reason for me being destitute? There's no reason because for Because perhaps you've learnt the value of things. Perhaps it's made you a nicer person. Perhaps you've learnt lessons you need to. I was to. nice to start off with. Oh, well, I'm trying to put positive spin. But the book It's is, all bollocks. It's not Do you know what bollocks. I mean? Everything happens for a reason. It's serendipity. There was a great news piece in the Times today. You know there's been a volcano in La Palma in, what's it called? Is it the Canary Islands yeah, or somewhere? Yeah, yeah. And the woman whose house got covered in lava read tarot cards to predict the future and she said, I didn't predict the earth. <laughs> I didn't predict the volcano happening. Oh, bless her. Well, you're not meant to predict everything. You'll only be told what you need to know or what you should she know. She didn't need to know because she needed to leave her rental accommodation. But maybe for some reason she should experience that. Anyway, don't. that's the, the book we're talking about. So anyway, this book, it's beautifully written, it's intelligent, it's it's a really good book. Do you want to go and work for her? No, I don't. Well, if she pays more. I mean, I'm, I'm open to any offers. And when you're reading it, it's very personal, because it's about, it's about a woman who's got terminal cancer. Is it fiction? No, it is her writing it. 
The author has got the terminal author, cancer. The author is the one with terminal cancer. And you, you're reading it and you feel, it's, it's, it's a very intimate, very personal, so you feel so in a way. This woman has written a book called Everything Happens for a Reason and then she gets terminal cancer. Yes, but I think she had cancer when she wrote the, the Everything Happens for a Reason as well. I think that was also about her journey. So, but you feel like you're intruding, but in a way you feel like she's a friend because you feel like you're having a really intimate discussion with her and you can't not really become involved, but it's not sentimental or slushy, but it does make you think about your own mortality and about the people you love. Um, she's got everything to live for. She's an academic. Is she dead now? No, no, she's alive. She... <laughs> Liz Jones sympathy card <laughs> she's got everything to live for you know she's an academic she loves her work she's got a husband she's got a baby so it's like instantly tragic you know but she doesn't fall into it any melting pot of self-pity you know she's not feeling sorry for herself. she's really proactive about her treatments and things go wrong she doesn't have very good experiences with some of these you know consultants that she has as well but it sort of made you think it's like it really makes you reconsider what your priorities. For instance, one of the lines that really got me that she said is, "Aging isn't the enemy. I'm really hoping to age. At least I've, I'm, I mean, at least I've got a life. I'm not going to complain about being 51 or being wrinkly or being fat, because at the end of the day, some people don't get that. It's very topical, isn't it? At the minute, we've got London Fashion Week. You've just been talking about how, you know, the the people are still ultra thin and. You know, there's all this stuff about ageing and actually none of it matters, does it? We should just be bloody grateful we're alive. We really, really should. Well, so, that's why I was having a go at all those women who write about the menopause and complain about the menopause and podcasts about the menopause and books about the menopause. So I said, well, actually, the menopause is part of life, isn't it? Is, it is, yeah, it is. It's part of growing old. It's not it a disease. And no. they're complaining about the doctors not taking them seriously. But it's not actually a disease. It's part of growing old. And you can't yeah. avoid that. And actually, if you're going through the menopause or have been through the menopause, you're quite lucky because you're still alive. Yeah. And that's really how this book made me feel, you know, like of all the things you bitch about, you know, I'm getting grey bits here and I've got a whiskers. And so what? you know really so what I mean looking at my life I've buggered a lot of it up I've made a lot of really rubbish decisions awful decisions awful decisions mostly men but I still at the moment have potential and opportunity to go forward and have nice experiences and have a life and and I should be really grateful for that rather than bitching about stuff that I'm not happy with do you know what I mean so it's a it's a really good book because it it takes you on a really intimate journey with her but it also makes you think god almighty how selfish am i because i'm panicking because i'm not a size 10 or you know my jeans are getting a bit snug because i've been laying on the settee with charlie or it's just about perspective you know it's about if i've got a if i've got wrinkles so what i'm 51 do you know what i mean i so can't what? believe you're only 51 what do you mean? Because some of us have no, had I'm only saying that so much plastic surgery. I know. <laughs> Don't diss me for my plastic surgery. I did it to earn money. Yeah, but it's still an advantage over me, isn't it? Well, we're going to go to this week's column, da, da, da. which is the whole point of this exercise, because it doesn't really pay me anything. <laughs> In which I ask, has it all been worth it? You could probably skip the column and just say no. I was going to say. 
need, do we need the column to get to the conclusion? So this week's column, and there's an illustration of me with the party hat. I've probably been illustrated more than anyone else in the world. Does that bode well then? If you've been illustrated with a party hat, that bodes well if it's all been worth it. I'm writing this on my birthday. Oh. My special day. You know, the sort of day when I always treat other people to mini breaks at Limewood in the New Forest or to Michelin starred meals at Le Candelocatelli and the River Cafe. To Burberry suits, laptops, Rolex watches. I still want it back. Thank you. <laughs> Today, I received nothing, nothing, nothing. I've got two emails. One from the Kennington Tandoori and one from my printer telling me it can't connect to the Wi-Fi. I've just had a WhatsApp from my oldest friend. It's her birthday too. She's gone to Tewton Glen in oh. the New Forest. Lovely. To celebrate with her family. I phoned the hotel a couple of days ago and I asked them to put a bottle of champagne in her room. I'd love to arrive at a hotel on my birthday and find a bottle of champagne and a man and they're both sweating. <laughs> I were. met this friend when we were both 18. We have never had a crossword, let alone fallen out. She was a drama student. I was studying journalism she was very glamorous. She drove a car. She had Dallas hair and wore Maud Frizen pumps. We'd go to the cinema every week at Leicester Square, the OG in Leicester Square. We saw the premieres of Alien, Close Encounters and Star Wars. Oh, Alien, the best film. We went on a skiing mini break together. She would glide down the mountain, hair in the wind, while I was confined to doing a very slow plough. And I had to be rescued by Mountain Rescue. And the only way they knew how to find me was because they could hear me swearing. So we went skiing and we went to the local disco. And I got off with a French boy. I brought him back to the chalet. We stayed in the chalet and there were chalet girls who were supposed to cook for us and clean. And they did that for the family. Because Sue and I were girls, we were in the basement. And they never cleaned the basement. And we used to call it the Black Hole of Calcutta because it was so dirty. He tried to have sex with me, but I was too tense. He mumbled something crossly while attempting to do it. Later, I asked my friend, who was quite fluent in French, what he'd said. Oh, he said he felt like he was trying to deliver room service. Oh, God. Cause, yeah, that's going to relax you, isn't it? I didn't try again for another decade, over a decade. A few years later, I made my friend go to the jazz cafe with me. And it's there she met her husband, to whom she's still married. She still lives in the house she moved into when she left home. She goes to the gym every Saturday and has lunch with her mum on a Sunday. She's normal, unlike me. Yeah, it must be nice, though, to be normal. When we met, all I wanted was a job, any job. God, the number of applications I got rejected so many times. I didn't want a job. I wanted to bum on the city and watch watch Neighbours, but my mum made me. She forced my me. My first job was on a newspaper called Lion's Mail, and it was the company newspaper for Lion's Maid. Bear in mind, I'd entered the Vogue talent contest and been for an interview. So the only job I got was on Lion's Mail, and my first assignment was to go to a tea factory in West London, and they made me wear a little white net over my hair. Please tell me there's pictures. Please. 
I was never jealous when I went to dinner with a friend and she lived in a mansion on Camden Square or a loft in Hampstead. I was quite happy being a lonely surf on a magazine. So my first job was a company magazine after lines made. So I've sort of airbrushed that out of my CV. <laughs> I actually used to take lunch hours. Can you What's believe that? it? What's a lunch hour? I'd sit in Hyde Park with the crest bap from Cranks. Uh, happy I used days. to get the giggles. I'm trying to pinpoint when I stopped being normal, when my head was turned, when I started to want nice things, and work became all-consuming. Even on my birthday, I still check my emails every two minutes. Refresh, refresh, refresh. Yeah, that's in your DNA. And I cannot help but wonder, that's Sarah Jessica Parker, has it all been worth it? No, I'd have preferred a quiet life. I would love, like my best friend from when we were 18, to be in a posh hotel with a husband who's loved me for 30 years with a daughter. There would be some point to all the hard work. Not much to show for a lifetime. One WhatsApp birthday message, two awards, not even a home I can call my own. But you have the puppies, you have the horses, you have me, you had your Zara trousers... Well, I was just going to bring up the fact that the day after my birthday, Nick gave me Zara trousers, which I didn't like, and I've never had a substitute. And carrot cake. You did like the carrot cake. where's my gift? And it's on my list to do things. It is. It's on my list to do things. I will get you a gift. And I booked the theatre and was taking you for dinner. Yeah, but we didn't go because you were nursing Charlie all the time. No, I know, but the thought was there. The thought was there. If Charlie had been well, we'd have gone. But can you not feel I'm so generous to people and give them money and give them gifts and houses and holidays? On my birthday, I got nothing. Not one single thing. Well, look at the hopes I've gone through, Nick. Look what I've given you over the years, you know? I've got nothing. Well, it's not about things, is it? It's not about... Well, just being nice, that's something. That's what I mean. It's about being nice and it's about experience. It's not about things. It would have been nice to get something. You can read this week's diary in full on Man on Sunday's You magazine. Tell us about the archive. Well, the archive is about London Fashion Week. And this was from 2006. I'd just moved into my lovely house in London. And because I'd just moved into the lovely house in London, when the editor phoned me, I was in John Lewis and I was buying a telly. So I had to stop buying the telly and I had to go off and do a story about Fashion Week. And then I raced from the shows back to my house to file. And this is the story where I said to my husband... I've got 20 minutes to file for the Daily Mail on Fashion Week. And he said, oh, just tell them to F off. (laughs) That's useful, isn't it? Really useful. Very supportive. So this is my piece from 2006. There have been three moments over the past few days when I felt ashamed to be part of the fashion industry. The first came on Sunday evening when Topshop kicked off the week with a catwalk show in the idyllic setting of Holland Park. The clothes were lovely, fresh, young, affordable. But what made me uncomfortable was the fact that, right bang in the front row, next to Arcadia boss Philip Green and his daughter, 
looking like the cat who got the cream, was Kate Moss. She'd just been on the front pages for taking cocaine. Rumour had it she was about to sign a deal to design her own collection for the High Street store. And although Philip Green wouldn't confirm or deny, he phoned me on my mobile to explain his decision to give her a contract despite her history of drug and alcohol abuse. When I asked him if he really thought she was a good role model, he said, it's not a question of being a good role model. Yes, there are pluses and minuses to Kate. (laughs) And you've got to be concerned, there's always a risk. But I'm comfortable it won't happen again. He said part of the reason for taking Kate to the show was to take the temperature of the fashion press, see how well regarded she was. She got a rapturous reception. She could have been Meghan Markle. We were falling all over ourselves. People were applauding, taking pictures, gasping. My experience over the past few days as I've been talking to editors, models, designers and agents has been that these are the last people in the universe you would want as the arbiters of what is and isn't acceptable to put in front of young women. See, I was very good. Mm-hmm. In 20 minutes. The two other seminal moments that prompted me to write this piece were at the Garani Strock show on Monday when a clearly dazed model fell onto the front row. Then at Jonathan Saunders, a girl bringing up the rear caused the audience to gasp in shock. Her back was so cadaverous, her arms and shoulders so eaten away, I decided to find out her name. It was Aliona. I phoned her agency, Storm, who also represent Kate Moss, to find out if Aliona was okay and were they looking after her. No one would take my call. But what I found most infuriating of all, and which made me want to run onto the catwalk, was how the fashion industry closed ranks. Everyone I spoke to thought the whole issue of zero-size models was a great big yawn. Madrid had only just introduced a ban on models with a BMI of less than 18. My feeling in 2006 that nothing was going to change, not this season, not next, and certainly not in Milan next week. So shall I give you some examples of what people said to me this week, both on and off the record? When I raised the thorny subject in a car between shows with a male fashion stylist who works for a newspaper supplement, he said, who wants to shoot clothes on someone who's fat and ugly? Ouch. I could have pointed out that we're not talking about putting someone fat and ugly on the catwalk, but just occasionally someone who's a size 12. Beyonce Knowles is a beauty, but even she would not pass fashion muster. And I could have pointed out that, yes, I know models are naturally thin, but what about the rest of us who aren't? But I didn't bother. You would think fashion stylists would be more circumspect on this subject around me since I raised the whole body image back in 2000 when I was editor of Marie Claire and I've written about women's relationships with their bodies ever since. I can only assume it's because fashion stylists can't read. Almost every single person I spoke to in the business didn't think there was a problem. Take the designer Bella Freud, who designed The Bieber Show. When I spoke to her backstage, she said, Liz, you need to back off. It is wrong to criticise models for their weight. It's rude and ungracious. What are you sticking up for them? Well, I wouldn't worry too much about Miss Freud's influence over teenage girls. I would worry that she also designs for the cheap, cheerful and young Miss Selfridge. Talking to models themselves got me nowhere. When I challenged statuesque model Erin O'Connor, 
star of the new MS campaign on the subject. She only raised her eyebrows. This is the most tedious thing in the world. I think any type of eating disorder is unhealthy, she said. I don't know my BNI, and I don't know what I weigh. I'm just made like this. She Lovely. found it hard to think of a model with an eating disorder. When I helpfully mentioned redhead Karen Elson, she merely thought that was a one-off. I know for a fact that Karen still struggles to keep her weight down, and yet this is an industry which I was repeatedly told does not have a problem. I got the same line, this time from Catherine Bailey, wife of David, outside the Jasper Conran show. I'm sick and tired of this subject, she barked at me, eating a strawberry. It's no worse now than when I was modelling. The reason the girls are thin is because they haven't had a chance to develop. This is Lily Cole, also backstage. She was the biggest model in the world when I wrote this. I don't mean it literally. Not that big. She was small. Look, she said, backing away. I don't want to talk about this. I'm afraid of saying the wrong thing. I feel persecuted, to be honest. Oh, boo-hoo. Lizzie Jagger, daughter of Mick, told me she'd never dieted in her life. The fashion industry is desperately trying to shift the blame for the cult of size double zero, which is a British size two, if you can imagine such a thing. I've dieted on 800 calories a day for the past 20 years, and even I can only get a size zero as far as my knees. A week or so ago, I interviewed a model who now designs her own range of jeans. If someone comes into my store in LA and asks for a UK size 10, I flip cartwheels, she said. But most women in the business in LA are a zero. Or if there are two, they're deeply ashamed. These women aspire to be like the models on the catwalk. I told her I once tried to put Liv Tyler, who's curvy but gorgeous, on a magazine cover, but I couldn't find a single designer who had clothes big enough to fit her. The model shook her head. There's barely a celebrity who doesn't buy into what the fashion world dictates, she says. I kept wondering why I would see an actress one week and she'd look normal, and the next she would look gaunt. This is the model speaking. And she found out it's all down to crystal meth, which suppresses the appetite. The latest must-have accessory in LA. She also told me the name of the celebrity stylist who's now in demand. I think we need a red light on my door saying recording. They would just carry on anyway. They wouldn't take any notice whatsoever. When I asked this model whether in fact everyone is telling me is true, that models are just naturally skinny, she gave me a laugh. She said, when I became a model at 15, I was slim. But the moment I signed with an agent, I was told to lose weight. There is no way a girl over seven and a half stone will get cast on the catwalk. I used to eat one rice cake a day to stay that way. I never menstruated. God, she told scary. me she could guarantee that very few of the girls on the catwalk in London this week, or the week that's just gone, how many years ago is that? 2006 to now, 15 yeah. years. She doubts any of them have regular periods, and she thinks a lot of them will have osteoporosis in later life. I've seen firsthand how these girls are treated, she said. I would turn up on a shoot and be offered a line of coke. I've even been on shoots where there have been syringes laid out ready for the models. God. I always said, no thanks, I'd rather starve. No editor of any British glossy this week would go on record and criticise their industry. The only editor I could get to say anything remotely critical was Louise Chum, former editor of InStyle. When I wrote this, she was editor of Good Housekeeping. 
She doesn't think designers should adhere to some sort of code, but she does think it ridiculous that women in their 30s and 40s and 50s are only being shown clothes on 16-year-olds. Any designer who does want to cast a more normal type of girl is going to find him or herself out in the cold. This is one fashion editor's take on the Basso and Brooke catwalk show on Tuesday night. They used older girls, they used bigger girls. It looked all wrong somehow. The problem is we've all been brainwashed into thinking girls should look like Australian 18-year-old Gemma Ward and that that's the norm. I asked this uh, stylist how old these poor old dears were at this particular show and she said, oh, mid-twenties. The only two designers who would admit the industry has a problem were Paul Smith and Jasper Conran. The day before I wrote this, Jasper Conran cast the decidedly 30-something and bootylicious Jasmine Guinness in his show. And when I congratulated him, he said, Listen, I love women. I design clothes for women, not stick into sex. I was bullied at school for being fat and became anorexic myself as a result. I know what a terrible problem it is. And although I don't think you can catch the disease from the pages of a glossy or by looking at catwalk pictures, I do think our industry has a problem. And I think it's lastly down to the agencies. Earlier that day, I had interviewed one of the hottest new young faces, Annie, a 15-year-old from Poland. And when I tried to ask her what she'd had for breakfast, her agent from Premier told me my line of questioning was inappropriate and told me to step away. Ouch. I spotted her in the Jasper Conran show and so I asked him afterwards, was he aware a 15-year-old was walking around in his clothes? Really, he said, no, I didn't know that. Back in 2000, at the government's body summit, which I helped organise, it called on everyone in fashion to address the prevalence of very thin and very young models. The then Minister for Women, Tessa Jowell, was sitting next to me and she passed me a carefully folded note suggesting I stand up and take the floor and advocate setting up sort of some sort of committee to monitor the industry where people go to whistleblow, where they could talk about any problems that we had with underage girls, drug abuse. Yeah, I mean, it should be accountable, yeah. shouldn't it? Yeah. The next day, and I remember sitting in my office when this happened and the very willing Kerry came in and told me, every glossy editor in this country... Every leader of every model agent and the head of the Association of British Model Agents faxed a letter to every national newspaper, news agency and TV station refusing to have anything to do with me or my ideas. After my experiences the past few days, I'm beginning to wonder whether the only thing that will make the fashion industry sit and take notice is when a model actually drops down dead at their Jimmy Chewed feet. And probably not. It's stepper over her. They're probably yeah, fashion roadkill. Yeah, exactly. And the so fact that it's that, still going on. That, my friends, is why I only got one ticket to the Paul and Joe show. Every week, lots of you get in touch, telling me what you think about my life and my decisions. So I think it's only fair that you get to have your say here on the podcast too. If you'd like to get in touch, then go to lizjonesgoddess.com or tweet me at lizjonesgoddess. Do you want to hear about the readers? You can see why I'm tired. You are tired. I'm like a suffragette. (laughs) 
Very like a suffragette. Well, you've got a new fan. Well, it's who not a new it? fan, but on, we had I had a tweet from Pete who um, followed me, so I followed him back. And he tweeted a message saying, I adore Liz. See, this will cheer you up. You're you adored. And he said, all gay men do. You're like the new Bette Midler. Um, she's authentic. Does he want me to sing? <laughs> no, no, he does not want you to. Pete, you do not want her to sing. Please say no. She's authentic and dare I say it real. You know what I mean. I do know what you mean. It's refreshing. You both are. I love the column and read the book and the Exmoor book. And I love the podcast. And basically... P is like a superhero. He started listening to the podcast and at this point he was on episode 22 and he tweeted like a couple of days later and he was on episode like 70 or something. I mean, he's binging the he's podcast. He's overdosed on Liz and No, Nick. he's completely binging. He says that we lift his mood. So we love Pete. Pete's our new favourite. Is he a new favourite? He is, he's our new favourite. He is literally binging us and we cheer him up. Go, Pete. I wonder if he's caught up now. Well, that's it from us this week. If you enjoyed listening to Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast, why not visit mailplus.co.uk forward slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts, videos, opinion pieces and more. I'll be back next Sunday, but for now, I'm Liz Jones. And I'm Nick. Goodbye. Goodbye.